0: Hello, dear Kim. Hello, dear Kim. Welcome to another episode of Our Country
1: Podcast. Do you know what you just made me think what of? What did I do? That is almost actually quite appropriate for what? this episode. Do you Did you have in um, Robertson when you were growing up, those Christian Television Association ads where there was like a bunch of kids singing, Hello, my God, it's me singing. I'd like to say <laughs> something just to talk to you. <laughs> Is that ringing no, any bells? <laughs> and I'm
0: so sad because I loved God songs growing up. Like my favorite God song, I think I've sung it on this podcast before, was for God to so love the world that he gave his one and only son. <laughs> um the yeah, so no, I would remember that very well, Kim.
1: It sounds like you did in Rocky. Uh, I f- I feel like Half of our listenership just shuddered. And or or just went. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, and then a whole bunch of people are just going. What is she on about? Yeah, these people are crazy. Speaking of favorite songs about God, we used to say grace and um, at dinner time, and it was always just for what we were about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. But to tease my little sister, sometimes we, <laughs> we'd sing this this crazy grace song that we learned at Sunday school, which was, "Who's the king of the jungle? Who who who?" Was the king of the sea and she, we never got to the end because she'd always go stop it stop it oh the blessed. we were a oh, wacky christian goodness. family
0: what a what a wacky lot <laughs> uh, like a, a sort of like a wacky christian little women yes
1: yeah, something like that <laughs>
0: So, so Kim, today's episode, shall we, I mean, do we get straight stuck into the recap? Yeah, Speaking let's of do Christians. It. All right. So we're looking at A Woman's Place in season three, 1983, and it's got a lot going on in it. The reason we're doing this episode and probably the main event of the episode is it's the arrival and first episode of matron maggie sloan coming to town also you know played by joan sydney she comes to town she scares the hell out of everybody she (laughs) is very strict and uh and uptight in ways which i'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later that personally kim i don't i don't see what are the issue what the issue is (laughs) in a hospital i would I, i think a matron should be like that in a hospital um there's also molly discovers a dead body in the backyard at the farm. Oh, yes. And it turns out that the dead body in the farm is actually a woman who was in a deep trance and <laughs> she has been delivered to the people of Wanden Valley to tell the truth about everything, to truth serum all of them in her mad, crazy Shakespearean way. Uh, we've also got the the guest stars for the episode – uh, also, a father and daughter. Uh, the father, his name is Pite Koenig, and his daughter is Deborah, or as known in Australian
1: vernacular, Debbie. And henceforth, she shall always be known as Susan from Neighbours.
0: Yeah, she's yeah, played by Jackie Woodburn, Susan from Neighbours. Uh, he's a very strict Christian father. He doesn't want her, you know, fraternising with the other students. He doesn't want her um, going to see Romeo and Juliet in Burrigan, even though it's one of the great touring productions as frank uh so eloquently states uh and they have tension the whole way through she sort of keeps blacking out it's discovered that she has epilepsy he thinks she's being overtaken by demons (laughs) uh the joke storyline for this episode is that esme and cookie are engaged and esme Poor old Esme, she just wants a token of that affection She wants a ring or something And Cookie gives her
1: underwear mm.
0: So that's that's a woman's
1: place Kim, where do we start with these episodes? Oh, where do we start? Let's start with the evolution of both Esme Watson and Maggie Sloan We've talked a lot about Esme mm. Watson's evolution over the years But these going back to these early episodes for those characters It's... Just makes you so sad when you know what they become. You know what wonderful hearts of the show mm. these two women become.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, uh, you know, these are really interesting, two interesting episodes to look at at how middle aged women are interpreted by the writer's quill on a country a country practice. You know, it's interesting, Kim, it just occurs to me now. We've spent the last six or seven weeks watching and just like that, which is the the follow-on to Sex in the City. You have. I've just been following the hate-watching reviews and recaps. I've been doing lots of hate-watching, yeah. And and the women in that are also the same age as Esme and, mm. and Matron Sloane. In fact, Matron Sloan is quite a bit younger than them. Mm-hmm. But we've got three interesting middle-aged women in this, strong middle-aged women. So we've got um, the mad lady who comes to town as the, uh, you know, the truth teller. She's so loud. She's she's kind of obnoxious in parts, but, you know, she's a mad woman. She's dressed what – what does Frank say in one bit? No no decent woman would dress like this Ugh. or something like that. And we're meant to I – th- I think we're actually meant to agree with him. I think we're not meant to roll our eyes at him in that moment. And then we've got Esme who just wants love and affection from Cookie being completely made the joke mm. of as well. I don't know. Like, it's interesting, Kim, because the the episode the episode one is written by Sheila Silby, who at that mm-hmm. stage herself would have been a middle aged woman. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not answering. I'm, we're not talking about the specific um growing of those characters. I'm sorry.
1: No, I've no, no. That's okay. I think it's an interesting time because I do. You remember that the 90s? You might not remember this because I think you've always been. Um, a staunch feminist? No, I haven't. No, I, ha- I absolutely haven't been. No, okay. I wasn't until I was about nineteen or twenty. I think this is a time when um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when somewhere in between the the revolutionary time of the seventies, when the um, uh, Royal Commission on Human Relationships was being held, lots of um, laws were changing, and women and freedoms were opening up for women. And that weird period in the 90s when feminism was something to be uh, disdained. And uh, I remember saying once at uni, this is so embarrassing to say now, but saying, I mean, I'm not a feminist, but blah, 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 and then saying something (laughs) very feminist. And my my lecturer, who would have been in the thick of it in the 70s, she said, I'm a feminist <laughs> and she was horrified by what I said and I can completely see now why, because it's not a dirty word. But I think, I don't know about 1983, but I think it might have been a bit of a dirty word and I don't know all of the, the eras of the various waves of feminism either. So mm.
0: do you remember when you became a feminist or saw Because I can remember very clearly two things that happened to me three things actually, three things that I would say made me into a feminist as in I would say, of course I'm a feminist, out loud, all around the time I was 20, 21.
1: I think you, Melanie Tate, and you probably don't know this, were integral in that cementing in my mind what it actually really? meant to be a feminist. Yeah, because we, and that was quite late. So I would have been late 20s, no, 30s, early 30s because we met after my son was born after Patrick was born. So I would have been in my thirties then. And of course I was a feminist before that. And I just didn't quite have the language down and yeah, or the, or yeah. the analysis, I guess of it. And you and I remember we drove to Sydney for now hear this. It was a story. It was a story. It's a story- yeah. Show for that storytelling that show like that you do. put on. And I just, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but we were having a conversation, I think about feminism and I think in the conversation it was quite clear that I just didn't quite have it locked in as to as to what it was and what it meant. And you said something about a feminist just wants equality for everybody. It was something along those lines. It it was if you want human beings to be treated equally then you're a feminist. And I was like, "Oh yeah, of course I'm a feminist." Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah, I, I know
0: what it would have been because yeah. I, I had a line. I had a line. It would have been yeah. if you want women to be equally economically, socially, and politically, then you're a feminist. That was what I. Yeah. that's that's what I
1: used to say. If you think that that those three, that was my little thing at the time. Yeah, yeah, but I also think, and maybe it wasn't you that sort of said this, but it was extended beyond women. It was for you know, people of colour and and people from diverse backgrounds and people with disability, you know, the implication in in what you said and and what I've sort of come to understand about feminism is it's about human rights, you know, and that's, you know, and absolutely it should be about women's rights as well, but it's it's very much about human rights.
0: Yeah. I just feel like... We talk about the rights of women and stuff, And then I, I don't know why If it's just because we are going into middle age now I just am so aware of the portrayals Of middle age women on television mm. And I think that this is a place That a country practice really lets itself down Like it shines in some ways Because we've got these wonderful characters Like Matron Sloan and Esme Watson Who are wonderful And I guess Esme Watson's more elderly I guess than mm. middle aged yeah. um, But it's like it's like a joke is made of their wants and needs, yeah. which I thought were was really present in these episodes. Like it's a sneer, you know. It is They're such sneering a, at them. It's a sneering, yeah. Uh, like there's such. It's such a joke. Like Simon makes a goes to Vicky uh, to you know make her jealous because he's going to go out for dinner with Matron Sloane. And that is such a joke scene. We're meant to laugh at that. Oh, you know, him going out with the, the bigger. They yeah. keep talking about how big she is, big, busty, redhead kind of thing. Mm. Like all the sexuality is taken away from those characters, isn't it? Yeah. Esme's made a joke of because she wants more than
1: Cookie is giving her in their engagement. What do you take away from that? She wants what he's promised her. He's He has gotten engaged to her. He has made a commitment to her. And why wouldn't you want to be able to tell people that why wouldn't like it's absurd to think that you're you would get engaged to somebody who then wanted to keep it a secret that you were together oh, that's awful yeah. to think about
0: and yeah. and also she's she's miss Esme Watson she would have spent her life mm. watching people get engaged watching them go through that probably wanting her own part in that yeah. and not getting it and finally she does yeah. so yeah you're saying
1: well thankfully I asked Chez uh our our wonderful, um, <laughs> A wonderful conduit to the to the the full world of ACP yeah. as opposed to just our smatterings of watchings. Yeah. Um, and I asked Jess what happened with Cookie and Esme because they didn't end up getting married, did they? And in a few episodes' time, and regular list, regular watchers of the show are probably screaming at me right now for for misinterpreting this. But basically, she realizes he's not serious, and she realizes she's she's better than that. And in a few episodes' time. She's gonna kick him to the Good. curb.
0: Good, because she is better than she him, is. and I think Kim, and we'll find out later in the series. But I'm pretty sure she ends the series with somebody
1: who thinks she's the bee's knees. Really? Oh, I can't wait to see that. That's lovely.
0: Yeah, because she is the bee's knees, isn't she? And so, yeah. so is Matron Sloan. Like
1: Simon should be so lucky. Well, as to yeah. Absolutely, and it says mm. I think it says a lot that Matron Sloan is the character that ends up coming back for season fourteen, the season that shall not be named, and um, and that she is the heart and soul of that one episode that I've watched yeah. <laughs> of that season. She is she is really is the voice of reason and and the heart of that episode. She's
0: just the heart of the whole show as far as I'm concerned. I don't think it – I feel like the episodes we've watched where she's not in it, you know, when
1: she had left, Mm. what's the point? It's interesting though how these like these early – depictions of the characters are what have stuck in the Australian psyche though, because how often do you hear someone talking about someone being a nosy Esme Watson? And that's what, you know, that became a part of the vernacular. If you look on, um, you know, Facebook nostalgia groups, I've looked, I've seen many a thread about someone being an Esme Watson um, and Mm. what that means. And also I was in a hospital uh, a few months ago and um, the the matron of that hospital, like, you know, the nursing stuff. And it was a, it was a crappy time but they were also not uh, handling things the best and not it was a, it, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, I won't go into it too much. But somebody commented, oh, gosh, it's like Matron Sloan from a country practice. And I <laughs> I, I bit my tongue for obvious reasons but I just felt like saying, no, yeah. no, 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 Matron Sloan's wonderful. She's so caring. Yeah. She has so much love for people. Um Yeah. Can I just – talk about, um, crappy treatment by nursing staff for a moment. And I'm obviously, obviously not trying to have a dig at nurses. This is not a generalized dig. This is just like amusing that horrified me a little bit in the earlier, early on in the first episode, um, they had that patient Albert who, one of the few Aboriginal people in the show and, All he wanted to do was get up and go for a wee. (laughs) And Brendan and uh, was it Sue were just kind of going, no, we've just got everything straight. You've just been to the toilet. Everything's neat and tidy for the new. We want the new matron to see everything looking beautiful and you'll upset the symmetry. Poor guy. (laughs) He's probably got bladder issues. They were outrageous. Yeah, outrageous
0: with that. Also, speaking of my favourite nurse... Of course, we hear from my favourite nurse that they call her Maggot Sloane. You know how, at <laughs> the beginning, the, the word has come back from Judy, yes, Love Day, who's worked with Maggot Sloane before, that she's Maggot Sloane. And God forbid, Kim, that you should want files put away properly, yeah. or the the nursing station clean, or a lack of pollen in the air with flowers. <laughs> like they're all everything actually makes sense with her, don't yeah. you think?
1: Yeah, she is a bit. She, I mean, I don't. I would find her really really hard because she does seem to sort of have different treatment for the nurses that she does for the doctors at first Ooh, but yeah, that, that, all nice. yeah, that all develops that goes all changes away. That and goes away. yeah yeah
0: epilepsy seemed like it was a much bigger deal in the 80s and 90s but I don't know like is I wonder if that's because it's just better medicated now or I have an uncle who's got it mm-hmm. and had a had a crush on a boy who had it so <laughs> i wonder whether that's why it was it was and i had it i should they both still alive they both still have it they both live with yeah. it you know um yeah. I, I like is it yeah what's what do you think the deal is there kim
1: i definitely think it fell into that category of misunderstood common illnesses in that like diabetes and like autism and some of the other illnesses that we've covered on this show uh, it was misunderstood to the point that there were explainer articles about it. And I remember a whole episode of Degrassi High, which was my other, uh, you know, sort of oh yeah uh, reference point for social issues of the world. That was my big reference point yeah, was, was Degrassi too. Junior High and Degrassi High. And there was an episode where I think it was Caitlin had an epileptic fit and it was depicted in very much the same way where first there was a scene where she's just staring off into space and not, not – um, and the same thing happens with Susan from Neighbours in this episode where the father's lecturing her about the Bible and she's just staring off into space and not doesn't actually have any memory of what he said. And then a few scenes later she's on the ground having a seizure. Um, it would have been terrifying if that was something that you knew nothing about and all of a sudden your child's having a seizure. That's that's terrifying. Mm. Um, so maybe it is one of those things that, yes, medications improved, and also our understanding of it has improved. It does seem like something yeah. that can be managed really well with medication.
0: One thing I thought was interesting about this uh, episode as well, Kim, I just I had a lot of my notes were written about the the so-called mad woman, yeah. that's in the that you know she's found dead, et cetera. She had a lot of good lines, actually. I love it when she walked in to the doctor's surgery and she's talking about doctors and what cranks they are. And she said, look at this one, looking at um Shane Portia. Yeah. She's like, he's dull of eye and underweight. <laughs> I just thought it was so <laughs> dull of eye, underweight. She's so funny. Like they must have just said, be as theatre as possible. Don't you think she's just so over the top? I think that everybody really enjoyed having her on set because there's a scene right at the end where she just takes over um, Shirley's council meeting, and it's so. In- and I would encourage anybody who's a fan of a country practice just to watch this few few seconds. Mm. Is how Terence slash Shane Porteous is absolutely wetting himself laughing at her when she's like, <laughs> like, like it's it can't, he can't be acting because it's so genuine. Like he looks like he's about yeah. to burst with. And I actually think Dr. Terence would would be the opposite of that he'd be like oh he'd be a bit outraged about what was going on at Shirley's not outraged but a bit sort of oh you know whereas he's just sweating yeah. himself and it's so enjoyable to watch That's um, hilarious. Kim, hilarious just one other thing about that character yeah. I feel like she was probably based and modeled on B. Miles who was a great Sydney eccentric have you ever heard about her Ah, oh, no I've never heard of her so the the Kate Grenville book and mo- subsequent movie with Tony Collette was based on her life, Lillian's story, and she. So B Miles was uh, from a pretty sort of rich Sydney family, and when she was, I'm going to say nineteen or twenty, she got one of those brain issues, like encephalitis or something like that, oh, and right. was quite. Quite sort of mad for the rest of her life, and she was famous for getting into Sydney taxis and saying she wanted to go to Perth, and not being um, and not paying at the end. So taxi drivers would avoid her everywhere. But she was always (sighs) quoting Shakespeare, and she would get paid by pay. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. She would she was get she would get her money by being by quoting Shakespeare. But she had an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Shakespeare, and wore a tennis outfit the whole time. So I wondered really? whether that character was based on, yeah, B Miles, because there's a bit of a tennis, um, she's got sort of like a white waistcoat on that's got tennis vibes. Anyway, yeah. I thought that maybe she was based on her.
1: Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, my my reading of that character is that she there was something in her for both both the feminists and the non-feminists, like depending on your worldview, you could either love her or love to hate her.
0: Yeah, like think she is so amazing, living this free, wonderful life. But on the flip side, she was disrupting everybody and being yeah. like mad. So yeah, 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 she was a complicated kind of character, but very enjoyable.
1: the The screen was it was certainly exciting when she was around. Didn't know what she's going to do. Do you think if you had watched that episode when you were maybe six or seven? When that dead body sat bolt upright behind them, it was so well done. Would you have been terrified? Do you think you would have had nightmares from that? Of course. I was terrified anyway. I'm
0: 41 watching it. I thought, what's going on here? I had actually watched these episodes ages ago, I realised, when I finished watching. Yeah, because it was all either I'd watched them as a kid. Or they'd mm. been on in the background here, but they were very familiar, you know?
1: Yeah. So, Kim,
0: yeah. shall we shall we move on soon and, and find out what our social issue of
1: the day is? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like we need to point out that hilarious practical joke we played on our listeners last week where we said – it, the episode was called "A Woman's <laughs> Work." <laughs> Wasn't that funny how we said that and pretended like we actually thought <laughs> that's what it was?
0: It was we're pretty we're pretty funny.
1: The episode is actually called "A Woman's Place." Sorry for anyone who was screaming at us last week. Um, it went to air on the thirty first of May and the first of June, nineteen eighty three, and. Guess what massive case was in the newspapers? It was uh, starting in the High Court that Tuesday was the Franklin Dam case, Tasmania against the Commonwealth Government. Total Eclipse of the Heart was the number one song by Bonnie Tyler. Um, And, well, I read just the saddest and actually I think most baffling article on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald on the 31st mm. of May, 1983. Can I read it to you? Because it's just weird.
0: <laughs> Please. I love to be sad and
1: baffled. Okay. The headline is Dean, comma, 12, colon, cells at Bajura are more like hotel rooms. So and what's Bajura? Badura is like a remand centre. For 12-year-old Dean Crasser of Cabramatta in Sydney, the Bajura Remand Centre at Glebe is almost a home away from home. It kind of reads like a real estate listing <laughs> or like an Airbnb listing. Earlier this month, Dean spent three weeks at the centre waiting for a charge of breaking and entering against him to be heard. The charged was dismissed and he is now home again. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness, because he's 12. Uh, While on remand, he decided to defend the centre and wrote letters in praise of it to Sydney newspapers. The Herald published the letter yesterday. While I was there, I read a story in the local paper that just wasn't true. They said Badura had cells with bars, he said yesterday, as he relaxed at home after school. To tell you the truth, the cells are more like hotel rooms. The centre had a gym, a pool room, and a swimming pool. The food was excellent, and the young people on remand all got on well with the youth workers and staff. This actually sounds like a really great progressive remand centre, yeah, doesn't it? Like
0: if you're going to be putting kids, yeah, if you have to put
1: kids in prison, then
0: yeah, it sounds
1: like maybe let's think about making it rehabilitative instead Mm. of entirely punitive. Go
0: 1983.
1: Yeah, <laughs> some kids of the age of about 15 and 16 wanted to escape just so they could be free and smoke. You get seven cigarettes a day given to you at Bidura, but that didn't seem enough for some of them. The kids leave because they say they are bored, but they eventually come back because they say it's boring um, on the outside too. It's actually really insightful, that line. Mm. Um, Dean said he believed the conditions in Bidura were better than in the homes of many of the young people on remand. The inmates could apply for leave to go home on weekends and could apply for up to four days' leave. The staff also took them on outings to the beach and even a pinball parlour. On the day I came back from four days' leave, they took us to the zoo. Dean said that although it was easy to escape from Badura, most came back because they realised it was the best place for them. At Yasma, a centre in Haberfield, Haberfield, kids can escape too by going over the wall, but they don't come back until they're caught by the police. Do you think that we're meant to be outraged at how good just, it sounds, Kim? I was just so baffled by that whole article. I yeah, I I reckon it's one of those. Maybe it is sort of read it how you want to, but I'm sure people would have been outraged at the idea of of a of naughty a kids getting seeming like a hotel and you know kids going on trips to the zoo. Sounds bloody
0: great. I wish they'd have one for (laughs) 41-year-olds giving us, like taking us on trips to the zoo with
1: seven ciggies a day and a swimming pool. Uh, All right, Uh, so uh, (laughs) you maybe you thought I wanted to talk about epilepsy, but actually I just went into a deep, deep rabbit hole around the Dutch Reformed Church. The Dutch Reformed Church. The Dutch church? Reformed Church. This How is Did the you even pick up that he was in that so church, Kim? When uh Pike, when Mr Koenig was taking Susan from Neighbours to the um doctor, um he was going through the details and he said religion, Dutch Reformed Church, which is his bad accent. I'm sorry. (laughs) Not a Dutch. It's not your attempt to culturally appropriate (laughs) the Dutch culture. I promise you it's not. Um, that was just a really bad, I mean, it was bad, wasn't it? Was it a bad accent? Well, I thought he was, you know, posh Australian for the first five minutes. I wondered if he was South African and you'll see why in a moment, but I'm pretty sure he was meant to be Dutch with a name like Pike Koenig. Koenig, I'm sure he was Dutch. Um, so the Reformed Churches are a, Protest- a group of Protestant denominations connected by uh, a common Calvinist system. So they came out of the um, the Reformation of the 1500s. Uh, I can't quite remember when that was. I wasn't there. Um, Calvinism is a branch of Protestantism uh, that follows the theological tradition um, set down – on follows the um, Christian practice set down by John Calvin and other Reformation-era theologians. It emphasizes um, predestination, which uh, means that they believe that people are predetermined by God as to whether they'll go to hell or heaven um, regardless of their actions on earth. So they're basically, when they're born, God's already decided if they're going to hell or heaven. So why would you bother? So what's the point of anything? I don't know. I mean, it's and how do you like, find out?
0: Like, who tells you whether you're a hell or a heaven person? I don't know. Like, if they say you're a hell person, you just go and have a great time, wouldn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's interesting. So, do you think that they
0: specifically used the Dutch Reform Church?
1: I, I don't know, because yeah. So, this is an interesting time to use the Dutch Reformed Church as well in this storyline. So, um, just to sort of get a sense. At this point in the 1980s, the Netherlands itself has actually become quite secular. Um, it used to be the Dutch Reformed Church used to be like 55% of the population and then Catholics were around 35 or 40%. And then, um, you know, secularization sort of came in and um, the like today, these days, so not 1983, it's maybe like 20 to 15% of the population. There's a Bible Belt in the Netherlands which runs through the middle of the country Um, from southwest to northeast and that's kind of a more conservative I guess kind of maybe you could sort of compare it to uh, like Utah sort of those Mormon kind of very conservative lifestyles in in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, but the Dutch Reformed Church was very very powerful in South Africa and it was a big part of the government from um, like before the Boer War so really like yeah yeah like like basically with it, it was part of colonisation um, from my understanding of it. And so in 1983, when this episode went to air, the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa was actively researching scripture for justification for its support oh. of apartheid. Yeah. That is not very Christian. By the sound of things, is it? Yeah. So the World Alliance oh. of Reformed Churches, which is like the overarching body of yeah. reformed denominations, were against uh, apartheid and they had declared it to be mm-hmm. a sin, but they actually in 1982 booted out the South African Dutch Reformed Church because they were in favour. And it, And basically if you read into it, apartheid sort of stems from the the, the influence of the Dutch Reformed Church on the mm-hmm. state. Like it was a very sort of, it was like a a committee, like a censorship committee that sort of de- determined what was not to be done, you know, what sinful behaviours would be made illegal um, over <sighs> the years. So I just find it really, really interesting that in 1983, and when I tried to look for information about the Dutch Reformed Church in the newspapers of the time, every article that I found, and there were a few, was about apartheid. Was about this, um, this, these events in 1982 of them being kicked out of the world conference. Um, the the fact that they were actually actively looking for it's like they'd commissioned research for someone to you know search through the scriptures to find justification of their support of apartheid because they were very anti mixed marriages and and mixed race children because they wanted to protect the colonial white race. They turned against apartheid um, in 1986, they um, sort of changed their stance on it and eventually they were accepted back into the World Alliance. These days, so in 2004 they um, formed with, uh, in the Netherlands, they formed with like an evangelical Lutheran church and so they're sort of, I guess, if they were doing this storyline today, they would be, um, uh, maybe they would make those characters Pentecostal, like a, mm-hmm. a particularly a, and especially fundamentalist arm of a Pentecostal church, like like Hillsong and then a little bit more or maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But it was an interesting choice because I don't know how big evangelism or Pentecostalism was in Australia in the 1980s compared to how it is now. But the thing... The thing that really stood out for me, Mel, particularly mm-hmm. this week is I don't know how you can look at that history of this church in South Africa knowing full well that they are completely on the wrong side of history there like the, and people knew it at the time and how you can't compare that to this moment in time that we're in where mm. um, in February 2022, there is this Religious discrimination bill about to be passed, which basically allows for um, people to use their religious faith as a reason to discriminate against gay and trans and um, LGBTQI people, and and not just people, uh, young people, kids. It's, it gives people, them yeah. it's it's to protect them when they want to boot kids out of school, and that how how can we not be saying you. You are on the wrong side of history Mm. with this, Mm. you know. It's just, yeah. I just read this really upsetting, uh, you know, one of many upsetting Mm. threads on Twitter that I've read this week, and it's just a guy sort of saying, I'm old, I'm queer. To any non-queer, non-trans people, I just want you to understand this is just one of many weeks that my existence has been debated in the parliament and then it just goes on to list all of the other times that his existence, oh, that his life, mm. you know, his ability to hold hands with his boyfriend in the street or um, his ability to have consensual sex, you know, all of these things have actually been the subject of debate in the national parliament and how mm. traumatising and upsetting that is. And so, I, I know it's a rant, but... No, please Uh, rant. The wrong side of history.
0: Yeah. And it's infuriating that people like that man and like uh, listening to RN Breakfast this morning, there was uh, a trans person talking about, you know, basically justifying and describing their life and having to do it for the gazillionth time, just since this government has been in power because let's not forget the same-sex marriage debate of a few years ago as well. I don't know what this government has got against LGBTIQ people. You would think that they wouldn't care, you know, like that that they had other things
1: to worry about. Not so. It's just just to appease an extremely small small, minority. exactly, And and they think everybody else that we won't care. Well, here's the thing, Mel. I think if the vast majority of people did feel more strongly about this, strongly enough, this is a controversial thing to say, but if people felt strongly enough to pull their kids out of Christian schools that were fighting for the right to expel trans a trans kids kid. yeah and I'm not trying to put all Christian schools into one bucket but there is a big number of people who send their kids to um, religious schools not because they particularly have uh, mm. religious views not because they're part of the local congregation you know if if there were rules that um, children of divorce, would would be booted out of that school i don't know that many churches would want that to be part of their brand but but these these sort of people that are fighting for the right to boot trans kids out of school don't mind that that's part of their brand and i think that's a reflection on us as a society
0: i don't understand to what end it is either kim this is what i don't understand is how people and particularly people who are christian and follow the teachings of jesus christ can't be accepting of i know of others and i like and at the at the really sort of not extreme end but at the simple end why give a shit I what know. somebody does in I their know. personal time or in terms of their gender or it's no one's business but the, the person who's living it
1: yeah yeah absolutely and that's the thing about i have no problem with faith and Christianity and any religion and not just Christianity because it's a very personal thing and I know that it can bring people a lot of joy and a lot of comfort Mm. and I've seen that with my own uh, upbringing and I have absolute respect for anyone following their beliefs but don't impose it on anyone else Mm. and don't try to create laws that allow you to discriminate when there are laws already to protect yeah. people, people's rights to practice religion.
0: Those laws, and there are exist. Uh, like, and there are also a great many Christians and people of other faiths that that don't impose their faith on of other people. Course. You know, that
1: just live their own. Yeah, I mean, really, the vast—I would say the, yeah, vast, the majority. vast majority. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Certainly, and it's yeah. just this vocal minority. It's like all of these stupid culture wars. I. I'm certain, are being fought by a vocal minority. Mm. Mm. <sighs> anyway, oh, well,
0: there's the Dutch, the <laughs> Dutch, Dutch reforms of 1983. Church. Kim, yes. thank you so much. All right, Kim, so we don't have all that many weeks left to be pulling people out of the vault. So I really mm. want to do people that are hugely significant to the show over the next few weeks in my little segment. And one person, Kim, that we would have loved, absolutely loved to have been able to chat with, of course, was Joan Sidney, matron Maggie Sloan. And we just haven't had much luck being able to find her or, or, or being able to chat with her. Mm. So I thought tonight we would do a bit of a, a deep dive into her life. But the thing is, I think she might have been fairly private, Kim. Really? Yeah, there's not not a whole heap about her around the greatest source – for Joan Sydney um, information was actually on a Country Practice Articles page, ah. Aaron Miller's page. So thank you, Aaron, because otherwise Joan Sydney is actually a very, very difficult name to search in the- Oh, uh, Yeah, because we've got Joan and we've got Sydney. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was getting lots of things about Joan of Arc, lots of things about Sydney. Mm. It was It was very, very difficult. So what I wanted to do is take the majority of the information that I have, Kim, from this one particular article that seemed to have more information about her than anybody else. It was by a journalist called Julie Cusco in Woman's Day. Yay. I don't know what the date was, but there's an absolutely gorgeous picture of Joan with her hair out, and I think she might even have a Ken Done top on wow. uh, in it, and it talks a lot about her life and, and, you know, what her life was like when she got to Australia, etc. So Joan Sidney is 83 years old at the mm-hmm. moment. She came to she came to Australia in the 1960s with her husband and her three little kids. She was already an actress in the UK, but she came over to Perth. Like Colleen Clifford and uh, a whole heap of UK expats, she went to Perth. And as we've learnt previously, Perth had a really thriving theatre scene. The thing is though, and I want to pick up from the article now. um, Oh, by the way, so uh, Joan joined the show in her mid forties. By the time this article is being written, she's only forty-seven, and she's an institution in the show Amazing. already. Yeah. Um, so she she came to Perth from Britain from a small town outside of Birmingham. Now, when she got to Australia, her marriage broke up when her eldest son was only nine. Mm. So she had she's she's got three children: Anthony, Amanda, and Matthew. And she basically raised them single-handedly as an actor in theatre and radio dramas and all sorts of things. Can I read out some more from this article for you, Kim? Please. Financially, it was fragile, says Joan, recalling those early days. The money came in one week and went out the same week. Mm. Electricity bills used to cause a bit of panic. So did anyone needing new shoes or dental treatment. She took on all sorts of acting work. She performed at Perth's Playhouse with the National Theatre. She did a lot of work in theatre restaurants and was in demand for radio work, particularly for the ABC, because as mainly a character actress, she has a fund of different accents. <laughs> Um, she basically said that having three children to support made her super adventurous, which I love, don't you? I like bet. it's because yes. quite often it would be the other way around, is it wouldn't yeah. it? It would make you super safe. She actually said she wasn't backward in for- coming forward. When people said, Do you sing? She'd say, Yes. Do you dance? Yes. And then she'd just you know, work it
1: out. If she
0: couldn't, <laughs>
1: um, she started. Make it, so you make it. I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah. She started script writing for the ABC, and at the time of this, of writing, uh, of this she was still um, adapting scripts in her spare time for wow. children's stories for radio, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'd love so, to know. Yeah, so she what said some of them were. Oh yeah, me too. I, it'd be it'd be great to sort of dig into the ABC archive yeah. and have a look at that. That'd be an- that's another podcast on its own, isn't it? The people and different things they've done in the ABC, yeah. Because um, so much work just vanishes, as you and I both know, having <laughs> know. made it for such in the a tunnel, long time. as we
1: used to say. Yeah, it's in yeah. The tunnel, never to it's be gone. heard of
0: again. Um, and so along this this time, she said, you know, because she was working so much, she couldn't really socialize. She couldn't beat the PTA. She couldn't make lunches. She couldn't organize the radio, the library. She couldn't raise funds, etc. But she made sure her children knew that she was there and um, she just sounds amazing. So as time went by, a turning point came for her in her early 40s when she came to Sydney to play, do a play uh, for the Nimrod Theatre, which I think is now Belvoir Street or Griffin. I can always get it mixed up. Every year since, she would return to Sydney and do seasons for the Sydney Theatre Company or various theatre companies in Sydney and it was while she's pretty sure that it was while she was in a show called Steaming that she was noticed, probably by James Davin because remember he said he used to go, he and his wife would go to the theatre. Mm. Did you tell us that? Anyway, so she was discovered and she's pretty sure that it must have, she was in a uniform and Joan's pretty sure that they looked at her and was like, This woman would be an amazing matron. Nice. Um, She's loving at this stage. She said a country practice has completely changed her life by paying her a lot more money than she ever earned in Mm. theatre. The first time in her life, this is so beautiful, for the first time in her life, she was able to buy a house after being matron Maggie Sloan. Um, She in Perth, they bought the house in partnership with her sister Maggie King, who's also. An actress Mm. And so she spent six months of the year in I don't know how this works out when you're doing 98 episodes But she spent six months of the year in Sydney Six months in Perth She also interestingly said Despite Matron Sloan being good for her Joan doesn't much like her TV alter ego, and Mm -hmm. I reckon this must have changed over time when the character became maybe more like her. I'm not sure. But she says she's not really my kind of person, but she's necessary, I guess. It's the nature of her work. She has to be an authoritarian. Nothing about her appeals to me at all. She's a high-energy person. She's a good contrast to the others in the show who are all very busy being laid back and cool about everything. (laughs) And just to what we were speaking about earlier on, she says, women in their middle years and upward identify with Maggie strongly. They call out to me in the street. I think they like her because she's a fighter. She won't let anything be put over her, which is just lovely. Mm. Um. So as we know, she was one of the, oh, she's not an original, I always think of her as original cast. I know. On, yeah. yeah. Well, she's
1: one of the institutions, definitely.
0: Yeah. yeah. She was She was one of the, Um only people as we know to come back to season 14 and once she left a country practice though she worked in theater pretty non-stop she also was on east street she was on neighbors she had one of those kind of what we've come to know Kim as a pretty standard australian career mm. mishmash of lots and lots of different things so she worked for melbourne theater company sydney theater company she toured all over australia with talking heads in 2002 uh, The most sort of significant last theatre production that I can find of hers is a nice story actually. Uh, She did a show called Deck Chairs, which is a play about two English sisters sitting on a beach remembering their life and her and her sister travelled everywhere with it, Kim. They went from... uh, Casula in New South Wales, to Dubbo, to Griffith, to Ballarat in Victoria, to Tuggeranong in the ACT, Bundaberg in Queensland, Brisbane, Queensland, Coffs, Mandura, WA, Kalgoorlie WA, Kalgoorlie I can never say that, Perth, <laughs> WA. They basically did a huge tour together. Um, the last television that she did was Miss Franny Fisher's Murder Mysteries in 2013. So we're going... You know, we're going back a while and I'm sure I saw somewhere that she now lives in Victoria, but I I just don't know if that's the case. Her sister Maggie King died on the 5th of March 2020, so just oh. before COVID. Yeah. And her obituary says mother to Paul and Judy, sister to Joan, much loved friend and actor has taken her final bow, rest in peace. Oh. So as of 2020... Which of course is two years ago, but it feels like half a second ago. That's kind mm. of the last trace that I can find of Joan Sidney. but just the most extraordinary career again. Yeah, and cause she could do everything. She could sing. She could. Uh, well, I guess she could dance. She'd make herself dance. But Kim, what I would really love is because I'm not sure we've played this on the show. No. Yet. Could we go out with Maggie? Ma- Maggie Sloan singing "I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar."
1: Fashions stand out for you. Oh, it was Any a great episode. For it fashion. was a Thank good episode. God, for God we're back in 1983, don't you? Yes. Think? Do you know I screenshotted three different things? Oh my gosh, what were they? Two of them were paisley print dresses, which I immediately <laughs> texted to my cousin Kate, who um, has this. I don't know if she still does, but growing up, she just had this obsession with paisley. Uh, as a as a print. She, yeah. she would wear it all the time. She talked about calling her wow. daughter Paisley, which didn't happen because she ended up calling her dog Paisley first. <laughs> um and she just loved it. And she used to write me letters and she'd draw Paisley like a little sort of Paisley
0: oh my teardrop gosh.
1: sort of shape on the letters. Wow. I loved it.
0: That's a real that's a big love for Paisley.
1: Oh yeah. I it, it made it it immediately made me think of her. And um so there was one that Shirley was wearing and there was one that Susan from Neighbours was wearing. Susan from Neighbours. I love how you refuse to call her Debbie Koenig. No, she's Susan from Neighbours. Don't you think she was just, Susan you could hear it Neighbours. in her voice. Yeah. I, we, in, when I was in high school, I'm very familiar with Susan from Neighbours because when I was in high school we put on a drama class production of an episode of Neighbours that we wrote And I played Sarah, who was having an affair with Dr. Carl at the time.
0: Can I tell you what might be rubbish? (laughs) Yeah, but it might be inside a goss. I'd love to hear that. This, I, you know, obviously, I don't know how to say this. I don't know. I don't know how to say this. I'm trying to find out things. (laughs) I heard. Yeah, I heard. I don't know if this is true. Yeah, that our dear Shane Porteous. Yeah, as in Dr. Terrence, who went on to write for Neighbours, was instrumental in the development of Carl and um, Susan's marriage and I I think probably wrote for their demise as well. I don't want to say he came up with the idea for their demise, but he definitely worked on making their marriage very strong, apparently, just according to a source.
1: I would argue that that whole storyline of, Carl uh, cheating on Susan with Sarah and then ultimately Izzy and then fathering Izzy's child. This what? is like, yeah, this is kind of up to the, I didn't, where I, I don't stopped know about watching.
0: It. Is Izzy Carla, what's he?
1: Natalie Bassingthwaite.
0: Oh, Natalie. Oh my gosh, he had a baby. Yeah. What was, so he
1: cheated on. Susan, twice. Susan, yeah, yeah, and and that was like a whole big thing, and they broke up, and there was like he lived with wow. Izzy. They might have even got married. I don't wow. remember. At least he picked somebody who knew how to use lip liner. But anyway, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> um, that was just that was Neighbors for me. For that's the most memorable storyline I would say I can remember of Neighbors because it was in yeah. that sort of formative, particularly because we were doing that. I started watching it again when we did that drama. Uh, assignment and then I remember watching it again with when I lived in a share house and my friend and I started watching it and it was around the 25th anniversary time when all the all the old characters started coming back and it was a bit fun and exciting.
0: How do you feel about the end of Neighbours?
1: Yeah so it looks like Neighbours is going to be axed because they lost their UK funding. I mean look I have no particular opinion about it to be honest because Personally, I haven't watched it for years, but it's a, you know it's a shame. And we've talked on this show a few times, haven't we, about how it's like a breeding ground for um so many actors, like Margot Robbie, and mm. um I'm sure one of the Hemsworth brothers was on it. No, oh, I think Chris Hemsworth was on Home and Away. No, no, no. The other one was oh, on Neighbors. I'm pretty sure. I would have yeah. thought they'd be too good looking for Neighbors. Well, I mean, Margot you- Robbie was on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you so don't tend to get as many hot blokes on Neighbours or
1: something, yeah. do you, you know? I, I mean, know. come on, did Christian Schmidt not do it for you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I, I ended up getting to know Brett Blewett, who I loved. Brett Blewett? Brett Blewett was, um, remember, um, Cheryl had two kids, um, oh, Columbia, yeah. and, and I think his name was even Brett on the show. yeah. And he's yeah. a lovely guy. I thought he was so gorgeous back in the day when I knew him in real life. I'd hoped he'd become my boyfriend, but he didn't for various reasons. I mean, Guy Pierce
1: was the Hemsworth of his day. Oh, Guy Pierce,
0: What am I talking about? All right, let's move on from Neighbours, shall we, Kim? But like who? I don't
1: think Australia has ever been a soaps place Clearly not because it, the only reason Neighbours and Home and Away have lasted as long as they have is because they're big in the UK. Yeah. That's what's held them, yeah. like, kept it going for we're decades. Just, we're just not TV people in the way that
0: they are in the UK. There's just no way. Like well, we've, we've got the great outdoors and exactly. we've got
1: warm weather and. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I could never believe it when I lived in the UK, Kim, how they would have their best TV shows on Saturday nights, Friday and Saturday (laughs) nights. We've talked about (laughs) this, yes. So bonkers. That's so funny. still can't believe it. Righto, so fashions of the field. Look, I'm going to be predictable here, but I loved Molly. Molly had a great mauve jumpsuit on. She also had a great teal jumpsuit with a great little yellow um, sort of – Oh, yes. It was like taffeta or some sort of acrylic – uh fi uh, fibers and just
1: um, those two colors together beautiful Just
0: fantastic they were really into those colors this episode because my other favorite was um but I just want the jacket not the whole suit was was uh Shirley had a teal suit on mm. with a yellow yes with a it didn't I don't think the yellow shirt worked as well with that outfit but I loved the teal jacket
1: yeah those colors though so striking so great <sighs> Fabulous. Well, we'll put some pics of those on our Facebook page, A Country Podcast. And, Mel, yes, we Jim. also have another podcast because you and I are multitaskers. We oh, yeah. are we are multitaskers. And we hopefully at this point you've had a chance to listen to the first episode on the mm-hmm. feed, mm-hmm. Uh, Beaches, and then you've gone and subscribed to Weepies uh, and had a listen to the next two episodes. I'm asking a lot of you really in a short yeah, space of time. And, and hopefully as well you could rate and review yes. a country podcast and, and Weepies, Weepies at the same time. That would
0: be amazing.
1: Yeah, so we're having a lot of fun and we've got some amazing, fun, awesome guests mm. coming up. Um, we've just released an episode about Lion. Which, oh, my God, such a What a movie. movie. The thing, though, that
0: I really love, Kim, about our new podcast, though, is it's not just about crying in movies. We always end up talking to people about so much more.
1: Uh, Yeah, of course we do. Of course we do. And we've just uh, next week we'll be releasing our episode talking to Dan Illich about Forrest Gump. Yeah, which is a, a cracker. Not to be missed. Kim, have a great night. Our thanks to
0: Chez Robbie, our wonderful social media manager. Thanks, uh, thanks, thanks to Mike Pajanic for our music and uh, or Nate Edmondson for our music. Mike Pajanik for the original that Nate mm. riffed on. And uh, Kim, I'll see you in a fortnight back here for
1: some more ACP goodness. Do you know which episodes we're doing yet? I do. Season five, mm-hmm. episodes thirty-five and thirty-six. All it takes. We will be watching next time.
0: Fantastic.